and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with TJ. Hey. And Chris. Hey. And we're going to be uh, discussing one movie in depth. That was last week's homework. A Talk of Fame submission called No Country for Old Men from 2007. TJ, you want to run down the plot of this movie in case people out there live in a cave and haven't heard of it? Yeah, sure. Um... Not Country for Old Men is uh, the Best Picture winner from 2007, uh, which is kind of seen um, as you know one of the best years in film, especially in the past like 30 or 40 years. Um, having said that, I'm going to run through the plot real quick, just in case people haven't watched it in a while and they've seen it and they didn't want to rewatch it, because I can kind of understand that a little bit. <clears throat> movie throws you in, in the get-go, uh, from the get-go to meet uh, the villain of the movie, I guess. There's, there's multiple villains, but he's the big bad. Uh, Anton Chigurh, played by Javier Bardem, is arrested, you don't know why or how, by a sheriff's deputy in West Texas, and he gets out of the cuffs, kills him, you immediately realize he's a maniac, he's got a uh, bolt pistol used to kill cattle, steals a car, drives away, very, very solemn, uh, super obvious that he's a psycho, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, also a hitman who's really good at his job, you can surmise. Cuts to uh, Luella Moss, played by Josh Brolin, who's out hunting antelope. Kind of from the get-go, you feel like he's not really as much of a mastermind as maybe Shigur is. Maybe other characters might be later. But he stumbles on a drug deal gone wrong. A uh, few trucks, dead dogs, dead drug dealers, you assume. Finds a suitcase with $2 million in it. Um, and that's kind of the jumping off point for the movie. He takes his money and runs. There's a tracker in it you find out later. Shigur is assigned by character with no name, played by Stephen Root, to go get the money. He is working for the American end of the drug deal. Yes. Trying to recover the their money. Yes. At the same time, there are people the Mexicans have hired Yes. to track down the money. Yes, as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really Shigur, uh, you know, hunting down Brolin for most of the movie. You have a supporting character, Sheriff uh, Ed Tom Bell, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who is trying to piece together everything. And... Uh, that's kind of the, we'll talk about it when we get to theme, but kind of the, the point of the movie, I think, is him feeling, I think his quote is outmatched now. Like, shit's gotten so crazy and with crime that he can't really do it anymore. And he's a sheriff in a long line of sheriffs. And this is set in 1980. Set in 1980. Yeah. Um, so Stephen Root essentially hires uh, another kind of bounty hunter-ish type uh, Woody Harrelson plays Carson Wells. Carson Wells has... He's only in the movie for about half an hour. Uh, he's another badass, though. Yeah. I think you kind of put that together. And he is hired because Shigur has kind of gone rogue and killed a couple of uh, the people who hired him, right? He, yeah, he killed those two people in the desert. Two suits at the scene of the crime. So is Shigur just looking to get the money for himself? I don't think so. I think Shigur just... I think he got pissed that he couldn't get rolling quick. Is my guess. And he's just... And as soon as Brolin heard him, he's just out to kill him. 
I mean, Woody Harrelson's got that quote in the movie, which I think is really telling of Shigeru's character. It's like, oh, you know what he looks like and you're still alive? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Shigeru takes care of Woody Harrelson, kills him. Uh, Brolin ends up meeting his demise by the Mexican end mm-hmm. uh, of the, I guess I'll call them bounty hunters, even though that's not really what they are. They're like bounty hunters in the criminal underworld. Um, and Shigeru's revenge doesn't stop there because he goes and kills Brolin's wife, who's, you know, not aware of what anything is, so he's just killing her to kill her at that point. Uh, You assume she dies. Yes. Um, And, yeah, it pretty much ends with Shigeru getting away. He gets in a car wreck, he gets hurt, but you assume he's going to make it through all that. Tommy Lee Jones retires because shit's too crazy. Yeah. Um, everybody else dies <laughs> in the movie, yeah. pretty much. Everybody else does, yeah. Um, Shigeru even goes and kills the like head of the American end of things. Kills, mm-hmm. Assassinates Stephen Root. Um, you get some really good scenes with Javier Bardem that probably sealed his uh, Academy Award win in a stacked year for Best Supporting Actor. I think the scene in the gas station is fantastic. I think that actor who plays the gas station attendant is great in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's it's a two hour long movie. You probably get about an hour and a half of good plot and about thirty minutes of just little side scenes that aren't really necessary to the plot, but uh, develop the characters really well. Don't yeah. feel wasted at all. Well, let's put it through the gauntlet. Uh, let's do it. First off, was the movie entertaining? We'd all seen it before, right? Yeah. I saw it in a seven. Did you enjoy rewatching it, like uh, for entertainment value? Yeah. So I think the first time I watched it, we watched "There Will Be Blood" and "No Country" back to back one night. Boy, that is a that and, is a deep set right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't. I didn't remember a lot about "No Country" because I think while I was watching it, I was just like, I don't know what I just watched. Is that the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> I was confused. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of fun because I didn't really know the plot. Like I couldn't tell you what Woody Harrelson's job was. If you could have told me he was a detective, I would have been like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I had fun watching it because the story is so fun. Um, and I guess, you know, props to Cormac McCarthy who wrote the book. Yeah. Um, that the movie is based on, but yeah, it was, it was a fun watch. It was shot really well. And I thought the performances top to bottom were pretty incredible. I really enjoyed the rewatch. I thought it was high on entertainment value. For me, um, it's a good sort of. Uh, I like the pacing of the movie. I thought it it moves along from from place to place. Having three characters that it sort of follows, like three. It's hard to call them all protagonists, but there are three viewpoints for sure. Sugar, Sheriff Bell, and uh, Lou Ellen. Ellen. Yeah, and uh, bouncing back and forth between those three uh, is 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 a really good choice. And keeps the pace quick. Yeah, and so it, it's a. I found it to be very entertaining. Plus, just the the the, the cat and mouse nature of the game was was. Uh, I think always makes for an easy watch for me, like a a good thriller. Right. Yeah, I didn't rewatch it, but I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I broadly recommend it to anyone. Um. You said cat and mouse. I think it's I think it's a fun dynamic, the storytelling element, because it's kind of like dog and cat and mouse. Yeah. Because, you know, Sheriff Ed Bell is, he even says, like, always one step behind. 
and Shigur, his whole motivation for going on the uh, engorged killing spree is that he's one step behind and Llewellyn Moss kind of just knows that he has to run. He doesn't know necessarily like from who, which is why he kind of gets unceremoniously gunned down in that hotel room. And he, you know, he knows kind of why, but doesn't really, he, he's not a sophisticated player. He's just, he's like the, um, the rabbit at a dog race. Just goes around because that's what he does. Yeah, you get a little bit of him. I thought they did some fun things with that character because you're kind of the whole most of the movie. I felt like, oh, he's way outmatched. I don't know how he's making it this long. You see at the kind of the fancy hotel where he escapes Sugar and hurts him, shoots him. Mm-hmm. That like, oh, he's not incompetent. He's just not on the same level as right. Um, you know, Sugar or Carson Wells. Yeah, he does something. He does something unique. I remember. Uh, in the hotel where he like, like he takes his he takes his boots off, and like props his feet up somewhere else in the hotel room so that he can like kind of get the jump on Sugar. But then Sugar is so good he right. doesn't enter. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool scene. You get the feeling very early too with Moss that he he is careful. He's not he's maybe not quite ready for what he's about to try to undertake, but he is he is careful. Like when he's investigating the scene. Mm-hmm. Of the of all the trucks oh, yeah. around, and he's very careful about how like like when he when he when he goes to follow the you know ultimate ombre or whatever the last man standing and uh, you know he even mutters to himself he's like probably just gonna wait for my dumbass to come following you you know and where you can shoot me dead but he still very carefully just tries to press onward. Um, yeah, one thing I, I on the rewatch that was interesting and made the movie more fun and better. Uh, I was under the impression that the whole reason he was in that he was caught up in all this is because he goes back to give the guy water. Um, when really that he was still going to get found, maybe. Yeah, with, with, it, it did make it easier. It made it easier. Yeah, it made it quicker. But like, there's a tracker in there. Yeah, they were going to find the money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about the, so like when it comes to the storytelling, uh, you know, talking about the three character viewpoints, uh, why do you think it's told from that in that way, instead of just picking one, instead of just being like Moss's story or Sheriff Bell's story? I think it, I think that lends itself to the theme of the movie, which I'll talk about more in depth when we discuss that. The theme that the title alludes to? Yes. Yeah. Um, that, well, we can, we can go ahead and hit that now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think the theme of the movie for me is no matter the job. And especially when the movie was released and when the Coen brothers started making it in the tech world, how it translates is that, you know, when it moves so fast like that, I mean, when Tommy Lee Jones is talking about that couple in California Mm -hmm. that were torturing old people and buried them in their yard. And they finally noticed when the guy ran out with a naked, with a dog collar. And that was what was weird, you know, not them burying a bunch of old tortured people in their backyard. Like that's so far from what he does as a sheriff and what his dad did and what his granddad did and what his great granddad did. So he's super outmatched even by somebody like Brolin, I think who he can't find and wants to find. Right. And, uh, then Anton Chigurh is just this like, you know, I think it kind of applies to all three. Maybe they're not all old men, 
but um, I think all three kind of by the end of the movie feel a little overwhelmed with, and I think that's why we see it from all their viewpoints. I think definitely Tommy Lee Jones has the most obvious right. arc in that way. Josh Brolin's character, uh, Llewellyn, had obviously gets in over his head and tries to keep digging his way out, but is overcome by the inevitability of it all. But, uh, I don't know, even Sugar, I think the what I liked about the last scene with him is that, you know, he's so careful and he's so um, calculating. And so he always has everything under control. And that last scene shows that even his life is possibly ruined by just some person running a red light. Right. And how he can't control for that. And I think that really unnerves him. Yeah. This whole movie, how he's been so careful about every little step he makes. Yeah. And how it could all be undone by a stupid person just running a red light. Uh, Yeah, I think that's that's accurate and uh, a good point. And I think you're, you know, the movie kind of echoes what you're saying when they go out of their way to make sure you see that he's got the green light in that scene. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, you know, maybe it's no country for a person like him either. Like a person who is just, maybe a chaotic world is not a place for someone who is... So methodical. Methodical and calculating. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I thought that was an interesting choice to give us sort of his viewpoint for the whole movie, or for a, a good chunk of the movie. Uh... Compelling characters? I think easily compelling characters in this movie. I think they're all... Well, I I feel like I can understand all of them. Yeah. I think one of... I'm going to butcher my way around this point. But I think that the most exciting character is the anti-charisma of Anton Chigurh. Like, it's... It's he's almost like a black <coughs> hole, in that like. Sorry. I'm trying to think like like anti charisma. Like I, I'm pulling up the the the, the gas station scene. Mm-hmm. You know he's so methodical, so calculated. It's like you watch him. It's like well, yeah, no one is ever going to love this guy, but it's just fascinating. Yeah. Like the way he talks. Like you know like have like what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss? The guy asks for clarification. He goes the most. You lost on a coin toss. <laughs> like, breaks it down to its main component parts to clarify. And it's just, I mean, easily in a list of, like, top media villains of all time. Oh, yeah. Just, like, like it's, he has, he has an electricity about him that is so remarkable because it's just negative. There's just none of it. Um, and it's a really smart writing to create a character who has nothing interesting going on except for an an unending drive. But yeah, I really like I really like Sugar in this. I also just am a Javier Bardem fanboy. Yeah. I watch great. I watch Eat Pray Love. <laughs> yeah. Uh I thought the writing and the casting of Javier Bardem in that is so brilliant because he's almost like androgynous to a point. Like, 
you don't think about him being a guy or a Hispanic or an American. Like he's just It's like a ghoulish. He's a yeah. he's a force. It makes him more of a monster. Yeah. It's really, really bizarre. It's just a crazy character. Because he's not driven by the things that drive normal people. He's not gr- driven really by greed or sex or anything like that. We've been talking about Michael Myers for the past few podcasts. It's super similar. Yeah. He never... You never see him running. Yeah. You know? And it's so... It's, he's so bizarre that, like, it takes Tommy Lee Jones, like, I think, like, two full, like, investigations. And he even says, like, you know, no one would use that as a weapon. Like, that would require him to to walk around carrying a CO2 tank with him. That's so inconvenient. And then it's like, but that's his MO. That's exactly what he does. Because for him, it's not about the inconvenience. It's about the utility of... And leaving nothing behind. Yeah. Of yeah. basically being able to execute someone without shooting them, without making the noise. Like, it's... And also without getting a bunch of blood on his boots. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wants it clean. Right. You mentioned that theme. Were there any other themes in the movie that really stick out to you? Or is it mostly just about uh, the evolving world and people who don't find their place in it anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I think that is the nail on the head theme. I mean, down to the title. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested in the thought of all three of them doing it. Because, I mean, Brolin is kind of thrusted into it. It's not his goal. You know, where it is the goal of the criminal mastermind and the, you know, cop, essentially. So, I think you have totally different angles of being put in on this, you know, like Mm -hmm. getting, I don't know. And Sugar definitely struggles, like like I said earlier, he struggles with control. Like, even when it's just, he wants other people to play by his rules, and they, when they refuse to... It's really irritating for him. Like when when Llewellyn's wife won't call the coin toss. You can just tell that just unnerves him. Right. Like you need to call it. This is the best thing I can offer you. This is, you call it. Right. And she's like, no, this is your decision. You have to own this. The coin don't have no say. Right. The coin doesn't have a say. Right. And It's a great scene. Yeah. That is a great scene. And it you can tell that bothers him. Um, Where does Carson Wells, Woody Harrelson's character, play in that theme because he seems like he's on it and even when he just bumps into him he's like oh I, this is how I go I mean it's the same as the car accident is it's 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 the the unplanned meeting of two big players and it's just like it's an unfortunate accident he just doesn't seem like he's ever unknown to what is happening he doesn't ever seem out of sorts. You know what I mean? I mean, he he fights with him at the end. Like, I'll go get you 14 grand. Like, saying all the shit he's saying. But I feel like that character knew he was going to die in a minute anyway. Yeah. Yeah, he does because he knows what Sugar is. Right. So I don't know how that character fits into the theme. I don't know that he does. I think he's more just about plot and, okay. and establishing other characters. I think he's there to, to help clue in... First off, his first meeting with Stephen Root helps clue us in a little bit on Sugar and the kind of Psycho. unstoppable force yeah. he's going to be. And then he's there to let Llewellyn know about Sugar. And then he's there to finally show us that he was right about Sugar in his third scene with Sugar. 
Um, the more I say sugar, the more it sounds like Llewellyn's interpretation, which is sugar. Sugar. I laughed hard at Woody Harrelson's, uh, like, sugar doesn't say much, and Josh Brolin's like, yeah, I'll give him points for that. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> really good. Um, I also like, uh, well, how dangerous is he? Compared to what? The bubonic plague? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a question about the theme before we get off it. Yeah. Sure. Do you think that it is... Do you think it takes a stance? Because I, I'm i not, not like like weighing into your call on it, but I feel like there is room to pull on both sides because the characters all basically admit to themselves and other people how inevitable this is that they are in this situation and they are they are outmatched they are they all accept death way before it happens and so they 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 come to terms with the fact that the world has moved past them they're past their prime so i i I disagree is even too harsh i think with (coughs) sugar being also, a player kind of like uh, Timely Jones' character and Josh Boland's characters are. Because I think Shigur is the evolving. I think that he's the unstoppable force. You can slow him down. You can put wrinkles into, you know, like introducing new tech into the workforce or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, or like CGI in the movies. You can keep using practical effects, but you're not stopping it. You know what I mean? Right. And you can be like, you got to own this. He's still going to kill you. He can get hit by a car randomly, but he's still going to walk away and kill more people. Like, I never... I, I saw him more as the embodiment of what's changing. And Josh Brolin as a guy who's thrown into it has no idea what's going on. and He can't handle it. And Tom Lee Jones is somebody who knows everything there is to know about catching bad guys and criminals. And he's just like, I quit. This is too crazy. I do think it takes... Uh, for me, it takes a stance in that it does sort of... I don't know. It, it does feel like it's it's people fighting against a, a a tide that is rising and is not going to stop. And and how you have different options, which is you can either change with the tide and be part of it, which is sort of what Shigur does. You can fight it like Brolin does and lose, or you can walk away, swim back to shore, and just just you know cash out. And I think that's a common thing in, in Coen Brothers movies, too. Like, I think about Fargo and how, like, um, there is that sense of just inevitability throughout Fargo. Like, this is all going to end badly for him. Yeah. And it just, it does. And then there's, uh, what's the other Coen Brothers movie I was thinking of that uh, had the same feel to it? But, um... Hail Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we talk about it being bad, but Lady Killers kind of does have that feel. I, I would say, I would say the stance is more. <laughs> I think it's that you're going to lose no matter what. I didn't see Tom Lee Jones is walking away. I feel like he didn't want to walk away. He got beat. He got beat. Yeah. He quit, and now he's bored, and he doesn't know what to do with his life anymore. Right. That's why he goes to lengths to explain that, like. His dad was a lawman. His granddad was a lawman. And at like, the end, him just being like, I thought about going riding today. 
And she's like, I got stuff to do. And he's like, well, I don't want to go alone. I guess I'll help you out. And she's like, that's not a good idea either. <laughs> like, he needs to be a cop, and he can't do that anymore. He's yeah. not good at it. So I felt like it was, you know, the the evolvingness of, I don't know what to call that, but like the evolution of work. We'll just say it's work. Because I, I guess that is it for all of them in the bottom line. Mm-hmm. That that is you can you can put a hiccup in it you can try to misdirect it but it's gonna win in the end no matter what and you're gonna end up dead in a swimming pool or without a life yeah the other movie i was thinking of was a serious man which is just about one man being stricken with bad luck yeah and how he just can't he he knows he can't escape it and it's this force that overwhelms him right um so I was, anyway, yeah, I, I think its stance is you're going to lose if you try to fight this thing because I think I think yeah Sheriff Bell and Llewellyn lose to Shiger in the end, even though Shiger is kind of halted a little bit. He's he's definitely the winner of the three. Yeah, I might disagree that he's a he's that there is a winner, but I mean I think he yeah I think he wins over <laughs> the other two. Anyway, I think they lose more. <laughs> I guess yeah. Because, I mean, she tells her, I mean, do we agree that Llewellyn's wife dies? Yeah. Because he checks his boots when he walks right. out. That's why I got the, I think that's the, right. the sign that The she, tell. Yeah. So, she tells him he's got to own it. And he's cool with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, there's just weird, the weird cosmic humor of him getting his, you know, getting in a horrible accident yeah. seconds after he owns it. Right. Um, let's go to the performances in the movie. Uh, award-worthy standouts. Which, I mean, there's a lot. Bardem and Jones are the top two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could give awards for like single scene performances too, the gas station clerk might be up there. He was so oh, yeah. good, so good. That exchange was. Before I'd seen this, I remember too the like. He's one of the most terrifying villains ever. Mm-hmm. And they kept talking about him bringing the bolt pistol around. And I was like, that sounds scary shit. The bolt pistol's not scary. It's just him talking. It's him. Yeah. It's the... It's, it's the Could have had a slingshot. It's, it was horrifying. Yeah. It's the terrifying precision with which he speaks and expects other people to. Contrasted with the folksy nature of, like, rural Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole conversation he has with the clerk... When, when he's just trying to make small talk yeah, and things go sideways immediately because Shigur doesn't, he's not small talk. He just wants to pay for his peanuts and the gas. And it's the infamous friendo scene. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but Brolin's great. Yeah, I, th- I was, that's the thing that sort of struck me this time is that Josh Brolin's really good in a role that, doesn't give him a whole lot to do as far as like acting goes, because he's mostly just, you know, getting his bag, hiding his bag, retrieving his bag. That's the character moving from moving from place to place. That's the character though. I mean, wife describes him that way. Like he doesn't talk to anybody. He doesn't yeah. ask for help. He's just a welder, just yeah. a dude. He's not even good at hunting. So he's right because that's the first thing yeah. is he misses. He can't kill a deer, and then he gets into this whole thing. Um. Yeah, I think he, uh, I think he does a good job with that role. Really good job. Woody Harrelson is given a like a Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges type role. It's Woody Harrelson. 
Very and very meaty. Great casting, though. Yeah. Great choices made mm-hmm. for finding him. Basically playing his father. Yeah. Because the character, Carson Wells, that Cormac McCarthy wrote was based on Woody Harrelson's actual father, who was a contract killer in Texas. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, Woody Harrelson's been in jail for running drugs. Hmm. Did not know that. Before his days of acting. Um, there are a couple other... I mean, I think the performance of um, Kelly McDonald plays Carla Jean Moss is... She's really good. Meh, until the end. And then yeah. it's like, oh, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to ask a really shitty question as a self-proclaimed Javier Bardem fan. How many of these people, the gas station attendant, uh, I guess not really Josh Brolin, but and uh, Kelly McDonald, that, of, of those two that were great in their scenes, how much of it is just because they're they're acting opposite of Bardem in his great role? It's definitely, yeah. I mean, it takes it takes chem- chemistry is a yeah. big part of why both those scenes are great. Yeah, I mean, the gas station clerk just looks so out of place yeah like he was so confused by all of it like i don't even know if he knew what was at stake ever i mean he didn't yeah he literally asked him. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's at stake here everything well what do i well what do i gain sorry what's at stake here your life has been at stake like all this time or fuck it, whatever he it's, says it's, I'm, what am i putting up you've been putting it up your whole life yeah yeah and then well what do i what do i gain to win yeah he's like everything what do you mean everything <laughs> Everything, everything is what you win. stand to win. Everything, yeah. Um, uh, real quick, I just want to while we're talking about the roles, uh, some of the casting stories in this were good. Uh, Bardem was going to have pull out, uh, kind of rethought it, ended up taking it. But Mark Strong, if you don't know who that is, you've seen him in things. You can look him up. Uh, was pretty much like on standby the whole time, um, and they offered the role of Luella Moss to Heath Ledger. Um, but he pulled out because he had a baby right around the time of filming. He wanted to stay home. Um, they didn't want Brolin. Brolin enlisted Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez to help him make a audition reel because they had just done. They were Grindhouse. currently shooting Grindhouse. Yeah. yeah. So they shot that for him, and Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez mainly called the Coen Brothers and was like, "Like, I know, I know what this guy is seen as. He's not that." And. uh so, I, I mean, I think this is the big step, but I think Grindhouse kind of indirectly leads back to Brolin mm-hmm. in his kind of renaissance. Oh, yeah. Uh, moving on, how uh, how impressive were the technical achievements in the movie? I mean, I don't think visual effects really stand out in any way, but... Uh, I mean, they were, the practical effects are good when they needed to have them. Right. Uh, the bone like, is icky. <laughs> <laughs> Editing? Editing's fantastic. To be, again, to bounce around from three viewpoints so seamlessly. And yeah. not be confused. Yeah. Um, the cinematography was incredible. So amazing. I mean, it would have won in most years at the Oscars, I yes. think. It lost to There Will Be Blood, um, yeah. which probably should have. <laughs> yeah. This, this past year is kind of an anomaly where a P.T. Anderson movie didn't win everything. Right. Like, But with There Will Be Blood, you know, there's it's going to steal a lot. Yeah. Um, and I thought the sound was great. Yes. Um, especially a lot of the distance using and the setting they have of West Texas where it's just fucking barren. Yeah. Um, the sound travels in cool ways in places like that. Um, 
and it did a good job of capturing a lot of that. And I really think a lot of the like the cinematography and the sound both play into the theme a little bit, like how you know the country feels you know as it evolves and gets wilder to an extent. I think it. I think the way it's shot makes the landscape of Texas seem huge and just yeah. enveloping. Vast. Yeah. Vast. And you, it makes all the characters feel so small, too. Um, and I really liked that aspect of the movie. I thought it definitely um, brought everything together in that way. Yeah. Uh, the sound effects, like you said, were fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, um, for me, the the sound of the the pinging of the silenced shotgun. The gunfight at night, especially, yeah. is really good. There's uh, some visual effects there that are fun. I mean, most of them are practical, and they're not like anything to write home about, but when he's driving, when the taxi, when the cabbie gets his head blown off. Yeah. Or not, it's not a cabbie. He steals the car, essentially. Yeah. But uh, you see that light, like, bing, and then it bings over here, and then it bings over here, and he's like, you can see him getting away from it. It's super faint through a cracked windshield. Mm-hmm. It's real cool looking. Um, makeup was good with a. I think that's goes into like the, the practical, practical effects. effects. Yeah. Just also the makeup of just look making the way Sugar just gets more grotesque throughout the movie too. By the end, he's been in the car wreck and he's got like blood coming out of his eyes. Yeah. That look of him in the first scene too. That, like, wide-eyed, maniacal, mm-hmm. like, you can tell he doesn't, oh, like, exerting himself. On the floor? Yeah. Of the, yeah, the jail? Yeah. He's, you can tell he's out of his, like, uh, I have to do it this way. And he doesn't like it. Um, and one more thing on the sound. The flies at the... Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so icky. <laughs> but, like, just that, like, every, it was, like, Doppler effect with fly noises. Like, he would walk by a body and it was, like, mm. it's yeah. like, oh, God. So cool. Uh, what did you think of the score? If I, if there's a part of the movie that's not memorable, it's that to yeah. me. Yeah, well, that was good without being remarkable. I couldn't. Yeah, you could play it next to two other movies I've never seen, and I'd probably have trouble picking out the score. Would it surprise you if I told you that there was only 16 minutes of music composed for this movie? No, I mean it feels very silent for yeah. a lot of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of some of those scenes in Harry Potter near the end. Where yeah. all you hear is like the lawn noises. I know I've talked about that a lot, but some of those gunfights where it was just that, which probably makes them so much more like prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of our favorite questions of those involved with the movie: <laughs> Would this be anyone's number one achievement or close to it? Let's start with the start at the top. The Coen Brothers. That's tough. Uh, I think it's their best drama. It's not. It's probably not my favorite drama. My favorite is probably Inside Lewin Davis. I don't know. Fargo's so fucking good, man. Yeah. See, for me, I just consider Fargo more of a comedy, like a black comedy. <laughs> that's how I separate them. That, that's how I get to have both. Like, you cheat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not cheating to you. I, I, I would say Fargo's a drama. It's got. Moments of, of comedy, but I could totally see watching some watching Fargo at moments where I laughed, and people that watch a lot of movies not laughing at those parts. Like I think it's funny when he has his breakdown in the office, William H Macy. 
And he's just like, shoot, dang it! And yeah. he's just yelling. Like, that's funny. But I can see, you know, sure, I somebody see. not thinking that's hilarious. I do think Fargo is a better movie. Because I think Fargo is just a, I one, mean, one of the greatest movies ever. I think they both belong in the top hundred, like, maybe ever. Yeah. So, I'm not... So I think this is close to being their number one movie. Sure. And I would I would also put a Brother War Art though up there with those. Nice. Brother War Art that was really good. Inside Lou and Davis would probably be my third. I should and I also I feel like I should I would need to rewatch Raising Arizona and really Miller's good. Crossing. Blood Simple I haven't seen. And I haven't seen Barton Fink either. Uh, Barton Fink's really good. I mean they've, they've just they've made if a we're lot still of doing if we're lucky enough movies. to be doing this 30 years from now you could have all these movies we've said in the talk of fame I think so they're also yeah that's the thing with the Coen brothers they're they are the huge directors yeah in movie history <clears throat> yes and so burn after reading I always forget about it was entertaining a shit movie fun premise yeah and then we were talking about it the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is coming out to a like straight to streaming right yeah, yeah pretty soon um oh I will say uh before we Talk about Javier Bardem. I know it's easy for people to say it, it is his best. And I know that I'm alone in having watched this movie. But he is fucking incredible in the movie Beautiful. B-I-U. He's really good in Beautiful. Yeah. I've seen not that. seen Beautiful, but I was actually going to w- guess that he was probably better in that. But this this is a close number two. Okay. For Bardem for me. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's number one for me because I haven't seen Beautiful. And... But it's not like an overwhelming number one for me. He's good in a lot of stuff. He's great in everything he's in. He's in. Uh, a, I know I'm not seeing a lot of Bond movies, but he's the best Bond villain I've ever seen. Oh yeah, he's uh, really good in Skyfall. So creepy. Um, let's see what else. Everybody remember Javier Bardem's favorite movie? Yeah, Bridges of Madison County. Yeah. Bridges of Madison County. I really. Like, <laughs> he made me want to watch it. I was like, I want to see that. Yeah. good. I really like him in uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That's too. good. Um, what about uh, Tommy Lee Jones this is not his Oscar movie but his Oscar I think it's a much better performance than his Oscar performance in The Fugitive uh, he's uh, better in um, as Two-Face <laughs> <laughs> another movie that has lots of coin flipping in it <laughs> yeah <clears throat> it's really good his performance is amazing in this I don't think it's his best performance of 2007 um, so what else is he in? In the Valley of Ela. Yeah, he's really good. He's in that so movie. good in that movie. He's really good. Um, it's a smaller performance, but he is incredible in Lincoln. He's really good in Lincoln. Yeah, um, he, uh, he was the favorite to win that year too. He lost out to Christoph Waltz and Django. You going to talk about uh, your favorite movie of all time? Oh yeah, Space Cowboys. <laughs> he's so good in Space Cowboys. <laughs> but you can't even watch it on your desert island. <laughs> you stole it from me. <laughs> um, I was going to see... What about Josh Brolin? What's Josh Brolin's best performance? He's not really known as a performance actor. Or, or Or when he when he does, when he does go for it, it's sort of like, I don't know, like W, which is, I don't think a lot of people liked a whole lot. He's very good in Milk. Oh, uh, I haven't seen. He milk. is good in milk. He's, he I plays uh, plays the killer, right? Plays yeah. Dan White. Yeah. Um, uh, Sicario. He's fantastic in. I mean, that the the trio of actors in Sicario um, are just great. 
So it's hard to really pinpoint him. This is going to come off as a joke. I kind of mean it as half a joke and half. I thought it was really impressive, but him as Agent K in Black Three was really good. And I was I was actually thinking about that for Tommy Lee Jones. It's a it's a great role for him. Yeah, Men in Black. Men in Black said it's not Independence Day. I think it is a good sci fi comedy. Yeah, but Brolin does Tommy Lee Jones really well. Man, it's funny. Brolin and Tommy Lee Jones are in a lot of movies together. <laughs> well, that uh, and um. Brolin was in True Grit. He wasn't, you know, a huge player in that movie, but yeah, he was in it. Um, but like Brolin's in, in the Valley of Ela. Yeah, there were two movies together that year. That oh. Were really good. Yeah, I never saw Inherent Vice. Neither. David saw it. I saw it and don't remember a whole lot about it. Um, he's been a Coen Brothers staple for a long time too. Forgot he was in Hell Caesar. Uh, and I haven't seen Sicario, uh, the sequel yet. Dev saw all that. I haven't but, seen it yet either. Um, he's he's a good actor. He was fun in Deadpool too. He was good, and uh, I think he's good as Thanos as well. Yeah, yeah. And he's in blockbuster fucking movies right now. There's a crazy fucking image when you pull up. Yeah, Dave the Soldado on IMDb. Yeah, just a Mex- uh, Mexican flag, American flag draped over a skeleton with like a bandolier and like tons of chains. Yeah. How did uh, No Country do at the box office? Let's see, a budget of $25 million and a box office stake of $171.6 million. Pretty, pretty good. good! Yeah, pretty good. Not a huge hit. I feel like Coen Brothers movies are typically not huge hits at the box office. I, yeah, I think it was a, it was the sufferable Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as opposed to the three-hour runtime, very quiet study in... Uh, uh, Old man in the blood. There will be yeah. blood. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh yeah, you like checking comparisons for the year. Yeah. So, True Grit made 171 million domestically. Um, it says No Country was at 75 million domestically theaters. So it's it's number two out of the Coen Brothers. Um, Burn After Reading is actually third, which is weird. I mean, you got Brad Pitt. Yeah, like George Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah, <laughs> Men Who Stare at Goats made a bunch of movies, and it's not a good movie. Do you feel but. like you feel like No Country had influence on movies uh, since? I know eleven years is not a long time for us to really gauge this sort of thing, but I think I thought about this, and it, I realized it was fitting for this question, which I struggle with a lot. Uh, I think it kind of brings back this cool take on a western that I think has been popular for the past decade. Especially when you get like the Taylor Lane movies that he's been writing. Yeah. <coughs> um, Sicario, Soldado, and uh, Hell or High Water. Wind River. Wind River. Wind <laughs> River. Um, but those are westerns. And I, as somebody who never really liked westerns, those fit. And I think that's a really fun take. Um that it's just like modern day the West is still the West. It's crazy out there. Yeah, and also I think that like uh, you could even sort of tie this to in a way, definitely in a lot of elements to Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's a which Western, is, which is set in the West and you know all about getting in over your head in the drug cartel business and whatnot. Yeah. Um. So I could definitely, I could definitely see that. Uh, connection, at least in terms of like the okay. elements of the plot. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I can't really connect it to anything else. Not much else. I mean, it's the it's the stamp for the Coen Brothers. You know, the top ten directors all time. It's the punch. You know what I mean for them. Mm-hmm. Also, has a great scene of somebody walking away from something something that's about to explode, and it explodes <laughs> behind them. That was a cool scene. Yeah. In the pharmacy. And it's a rare one of those scenes where there's a utility to it. Like, there's a reason. Yeah. There's a reason the car is exploding, and there's a reason he's not facing it. Not And it's not to look cool. Right. It's, he's going to get drugs. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Anything else? Let's see. Has the film aged well? Hadn't really aged. Hadn't really had time to age. It's not like a... I mean, it was already a movie that was set in a specific time period. I was going to say, it will age well because it's set in the early 80s. Um, Alright, I think that's just about it. Uh, Is it The Great Wall? Chris? It's it's almost 2019. I thought we were over with this question. (laughs) Never. Is it The Meg? Oh, God. Oh. But could it be the Meg? It is about an unstoppable force. Yeah. A, 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 a machine built for killing. In the way that this movie casted actors who can act, <laughs> it's not. The it's Meg. the opposite of the Meg, which seems to have <coughs> it's the found gem. the worst people at pretending <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. No country for old sharks. I quit. It's just, it's just <laughs> I quit. It's just that uh, you know that 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 shark. You know the world just just changed, and he couldn't adapt. So he had to rot a bloodstream <laughs> yeah. through the you, winter. You think about what he had to deal with in the Meg, and it's heads and tails. <laughs> uh, really big heads and really big tails. And what did he stand to lose or gain? Everything. So, I got a question, though, real quick. Can we trick David into watching The Meg? Can we all just say it was amazing? See if he doesn't listen to that watch list and make him watch it. Because <laughs> he won't watch it once he hears what we have to say about it. Do you think that if we go to David and go, it's really good, he's going to be like, okay, yeah. and watch it? Yes. He doesn't... He doesn't I, think, I think he would be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. I think he would eventually watch it. He has vocalized how he doesn't listen to our recommendations and will watch movies that we tell him are bad and he shouldn't watch. Oh, no, I feel like he listens to No, it's to the opposite it. of that. Oh really? He yeah. seeks out things that we that we say are good. Yeah, and if we say it's bad, he because it'll be like, "Did you watch it?" He's like, "No, I listened to Brent when he said it sucked." Oh. Yes, yeah. he will avoid movies that we don't like. So back to my original question: <laughs> Weaponize the Meg. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to change your letterbox score then. Five stars. Something really like four and a half. Yeah, no I interesting think commentary. I think even four. Just four will do it. <clears throat> Just yeah. check it out. You might like it. Right. Sorry, David, because I know you listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, this you have to go in and call it like thematically surprising <laughs> and deep. Deep. <laughs> it's a pun. Yeah, but, but yeah it's uh, literally deep. Uh, when it when the movie ends, you do get a thin at the end. Oh, really? It's yep. a spin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's what this movie was missing. <laughs> French cinema jokes. Puns. Yeah, for people that watch the Meg, like, what is that crossover? That, that Venn diagram is like, like us. What are we doing? 
I think we're about to all vote yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're voting for, for No Country for Old Men for yeah. the talk thing. I think it's pretty obvious. I'll, I'll vote yes. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, uh, I would call it, you know, one of the best westerns ever. Chris? Yeah, I, I'm also yes. I take Anton Sugar with my coffee. It's a. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch that. If, if they announce a sequel, lots of people would, would be like, no. But I just want to watch more and more and more of Anton Sugar. Well, Anton Sugar backstory, yeah. origin story. Just came out of the womb and was like, <laughs> blow pistol. Well, uh, they keep those hospitals in Odessa. <laughs> Uh, did we get a... Did David vote? David was a... Uh, I'll tell you after you vote. Okay. Um, well, as much as I sometimes like playing devil's advocate, <laughs> I walked in here as a hard yes, and nothing changed. This yeah. was a this is a masterpiece of storytelling and character building and, uh, and tension. Yeah. So. Yeah, David was a yes. Uh, not a lot... Not a big blurb on it. Uh, I know David's a huge fan of the movie, but definitely said it belongs in any list of film. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Any list of good films. That's yeah, what I mean right. To say. And we're not going to fuck it up by not putting it in there. Yep. Now that that's why we do what we do. It is the kind of movie really though like where, it. like, six months later, I would look back if we didn't put this in. We're and I'd be like, no. What is? What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, but that's what we're doing. Join the four O's. There's not a lot of those. I don't think Home Alone is a four O. Uh, I think Stripes was a four O. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we've done it with some comedies, but I, um, was. Mulholland? Chris didn't vote on Mulholland. You weren't here for it? Mm-mm. Uh, it was 3 It was a 3 Okay, it probably would have been a 4 but I get confused easy. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah, well, fun. Welcome to the Talk of Fame. Sounds good. Take us home. Well, that's it. So this has been Talk Talk, podcast for the media by us. You can... Check out our Facebook groups at the uh, at Movies by Us, TV by Us, and Games by Us. You can send us an email. Just send us an email. Make sure our email still works at the <laughs> Media by Us. Hello. At gmail.com. You can uh, Twitter your little life away <laughs> at the Media by Us. Um, please leave us a rating and some kindly comments. Uh as you subscribe to the podcast on your podcatching app of choice. And last but not least, thank you to the Willow Walkers for the intro music. Willow Walkers. Check them out on Spotify. And thank you to Boo Reefa for our outro music. And that's it. Thanks to you guys. Thanks, Brett. Thanks. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.